Hello and uh, welcome to episode four of Sprucast, the uh, model, the modelers podcast. That's how I like to think of it, anyway. Um, so this week uh, we're going to talk about uh, stash stashes, uh, uh, and uh, you know, what do we think of them? Um, you know, are, are you an investor? Are you somebody that likes to squirrel away your kit? um and and watch the price rise of it um or are you a builder you know you just all you're interested in is building them and they're purely there um so that you've got a nice range uh to choose from when when you come to build or are you no that's it, isn't it? investing or building or are you just a collector just like collecting things. I mean, uh, some people call it hoarding as well, don't they? You, you sort of, uh, it's under all under the same umbrella, really. Um, but I know people that have got their stashes are monumental. Um, our very own John has uh, quite a stash. Uh, uh, or so it appears. Every time we mention a kit, John has it on hand. Um yeah. So, you know, uh, so I'm sure John's got a lot of points on this one uh, and he'll, he'll be able to give us his opinion on, on where he stands. Uh, me personally, I'm just I'm just a collector, really. Uh, I'm a collector and a builder. So I like to buy kits. I do like to buy kits and I like to have them in the stash. Uh, but I will build them all. Uh, I, I've. I've, I've never really bought a kit with the intention of of, of keeping it so, so that the value uh, will increase or, or anything like that. Um, I There's nothing wrong with that. I have no problem with that at all. Uh, if people want to do that, then fair play to them. You know, that's, that's uh, <laughs> you know, I, I really don't have a problem with it. Some people do. They don't like it. I, I don't see what the problem is. Nobody's hurting anybody. Uh, but, uh, you know, if I had more money, then perhaps, yes, I perhaps would buy kits as an investment. Uh, but at the moment, for me, it's just building. Um, what about you, Josh? I, I'm I'm kind of have a stash for, like, later when I'm broke, you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean really i mean that i think that's a fair statement because i i i right now i try to do most of my 3d printed stuff up so i i can print anything out and then build that right yeah but for the most part you know i i try to try to have stuff around for when you know like I'm retired or that's kind yeah. of what my stash is about. I don't really have like, I know a couple people that have just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids. And I just, I'm nowhere near that. No, I'm not. I think for, um, for information purposes, I'm probably at about 40, maybe 40 kids. Um, out of that 40, there's probably three or four that would be considered high value. 
and by high value i'm i'm talking around the 100 150 mark because to me that's a lot for a plastic kit um there are kits that are worth a lot lot more so you you know it's um the value is is rele- relevant to your earnings really uh to me a hundred pound is high value well to me 50 pound is high value but to somebody else um a hundred hundred and fifties nothing you know if they've they've got a good job they're getting good money and then to them dropping that a uh, ton ton 50 on um a kit is not uh, a financial problem for them so that's you know that, that that's great so it's all relative to what you earn so it's difficult to put any any of it into a bracket and say that uh, kits from this amount to that amount are um a, a, a sort of high value i'm waffling on here i, I, I gotta apologize i'm waffling on i've had uh i've had to have a few pain medications so um i'm gonna let john have a chat now Uh, oh this is it it's there's certain categories and stuff that people like to pigeonhole themselves into but um i'm a builder i'm not a collector and stuff i've been modeling for nigh on what close on 50 odd years now so my stash has grown over the years yeah as i've had spare money and stuff yeah. i've probably bought two or three kits where normally i would have normally bought one but my stash is probably plodding on for over 900 kits whoa yeah and out of Let's say 900 foot, what's it? Out of that number, I've probably got 10. Or 10, 11, 12 that are possibly what you could call really rare kits. Kits that are fetching silly money on the internet now. Yeah. And stuff, but they're there to be built. So did when you bought them, were they, were they rare or... No, when I bought them out, they were a limited run kit. So you um, knew there was a possibility they were going to become rare? At some point in the future, because it said when I bought the kits, it was a run of a thousand. Now, in the modelling production, so to speak, that is a limited run. Yeah. And the guy that produce the kits he turned around and says well i can do a thousand kits with these particular molds if they sell and they still the interest then i will make a new set of molds and probably produce some more yeah and uh, it it went on it went on it went on and it, they were selling pretty good then all of a sudden the bottom dropped out of the market and they didn't sell as quick or as in many numbers as he was doing and uh, i think he actually produced about seven seven fifty possibly eight hundred out of his thousand kits and 
never to be seen again. Oh, right. So that really is a rare. Um... Yeah. See, the, the thing what gets me, and this is why I, this is my argument against collecting rare kits. So now, um, I'm, I'm going to give uh, a hypothetical uh, situation, simulation, whatever. Now, like I've got um, a rare kit that was brought out by Tamir. Um, I was very, very fortunate. I bought it off a friend and I paid very, very small amount for it. But it, I paid about £100 less for it than what it was worth. Um, John, you know which kit I'm on about. Yeah, it's the, uh, the big Tammy Williams. Yeah, it's the big Tammy Williams RWB14, I think. Yeah. And I was very grateful that I was given the opportunity. Now, I have this kit in my stash. And, yes, it's, it, you know, people are paying quite a lot for it on eBay. I would never dream of selling it because I was I was sold it at such a cheap rate to help me out because of uh, low finances, that to sell it on, I think, would be a kick in the teeth of the person that sold me it. And um, I would never dream of doing that. But to me, um, to me, uh, uh, you know, they tend to suddenly re-release things. So, yes, that kit's worth quite a bit. But if to next week, tomorrow, next year, all of a sudden, to me, I say, we're going to run that kit again. Um, the money's going to drop out of that kit straight away. And in fact, a perfect example of this is my one eighth astronaut by Revel. Um, I think about three years ago, I went to um, the big convention at Telford. And while I was there, I saw a stunning one-eighth um, astronaut on the show floor. And uh, I'd made up my mind that I wanted that kit. I wanted to build that kit because I wanted uh, the astronaut uh, on my shelf that I had seen at Telford. And um, I looked everywhere for about... Uh, a year afterwards, I kept looking for this uh, elusive astronaut, and he just was not coming up anywhere. Wasn't on eBay, wasn't in any uh, local uh, model making forums or anything like that. He was, he was just n nowhere. Um, and then all of a sudden, one day, one drops on eBay, um, and I think I paid 45 quid for it in total. Um, and it came, you know, the box was old and I think the, the decals were missing, but I, I had it. That was the main thing. Fast forward a year and a half to now and Revel have just re-released that astronaut. That astronaut's now about 20 quid, 25 quid, something like that. Um, and it's got the decals and it's got a nice shiny new box as well. Um, so if I'd have bought that as an investment, uh, fortunately I bought it to build. Um, I'd already, by the time I knew it was, uh, being re-released, I'd already got it glued together and painted. So, um, it was never going to be an issue for me. Uh, but 
I can see that this probably happens a lot to other people. They've got kits put away and it's, oh, yeah, it's worth this, it's worth that. And then all of a sudden somebody re-releases it and all of a sudden it's worth nothing again. Um, and you've got to start all over again with it. So at any given point, your um, the, a company can re-release your kit. And let's face it, they're constantly selling their, their molds and their designs between each other. And they're always coming out um, under different names and licenses. And um, So that's my reason for not collecting. Well, this is it. It's like... <clears throat> I like doing my bikes, right? Yeah. Uh, you've got the Honda NSR 500 and the Yamaha YZR M1, right? They are starting to fetch really silly money on eBay. Yeah. Right? And it's like your Williams and the big McLaren that they did, right? The chances of them being re-released again further down the line with the same decals in, and such yeah it's pretty slim yeah i get that yeah because the biggest problem you've got with things like that where race bikes uh, race cars and stuff like that it's got sponsorship logos on right tamia pay out millions i should imagine of yen dollars pounds or whatever for licensing to produce that kit yeah and the thing is it's like the one that uh, majority of people know about with the uh, star wars yeah right the only reason we've got that now because there's only one company now in europe that's in any state to import such, such stuff now so now you're getting the bandai kits with the rebel logo on yeah yeah, and also the uh, uh, what were they called? The the way back when Star Wars was first out, oh, AMT Master Edition or something. Oh, the limited edition and um, the fine mold ones and fine molds. That's it, master molds or whatever. Yeah, fine molds. Yeah. This is it, weren't it? It was uh, fine molds came out first. Then you got the likes of uh, Bandai came out which were even better they were clipped together and stuff yeah right? then all of a sudden fine molds just sort of disappeared off the market for a bit and then next minute revel have paid fine molds or whatever for the molds or produce a certain number of kits for them and it's come out in uh, a fine mold kit in a revel box with master series master class series or something like that on them yeah right but it's all down to sponsorship with things like that with the sci-fi with star wars as of course it's it's such a large company and you've got the likes of uh, disney and stuff getting involved and stuff so they want their pound of flesh yeah and stuff. oh and they get it too they get that <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, uh, I'm told they are, um, what's the right word? They are venomous in their approach to defending their oh, yeah, brand. IP. 
they will stamp on the slightest little infringement yeah that they perceive i mean i've i've heard i've heard stories of people um i don't know how true it is making little videos where you know at the beginning of star wars where they scroll the writing up yeah um since disney took over i've heard that the people have made like videos like that and put them on youtube and disney yeah, have come stamping down on them yeah the fan made videos and stuff aren't they and they're using that scrolling text at the beginning of beginning of their own made yeah. uh, homage so to speak to star wars and disney's jumping on them yeah you know take that down it's it's our ip i mean it's ridiculous they're just you know these are probably kids in a bedroom and anyway we we're digressing but um is a is a fact i mean do you have you got your your kits insured john no because there's a lot of money there isn't there oh well there's a lot of money there yeah but i haven't got them insured and stuff because what is the expense and with being on a tight budget and stuff yeah unfortunately model insurance which you can have as a separate item is is a no-go but i should imagine that there'll be somewhere uh, covering the out, what is modeling insurance modeling insurance i know i know i'm sidetracking here but what's modeling insurance you can it ensures it, you make good models <laughs> no, there was there was something about it some some time ago that it was wafted about within the model circles and stuff about that yeah. you can actually insure your stash and you can insure your kits and stuff in case of fire and flood and all that sort of stuff. Well, the the I think there was a thing going round um, that basically um, a lot of the stuff we use is flammable. Yeah um some of it's even explosive some of it's bloody downright dangerous when you start talking about 2k um clear oh, yeah. coats and stuff like that um and i just never have heard that um like if if you're sort of uh, if you're modeling in in a sort of home space um these these items increase your risk of fire and has and stuff like that um so there there were some people that saying you know you've got to get insured because if ever your house caught fire you you've got all these um flammable products your your regular insurance just wouldn't pay out um because um you you've got all this stuff knocking about um I, I, you know, I'm not advocating which way anyone should go on that. Um, uh, I'm, I'm just saying this is what was being said at the time. I don't know about any specific house insurance or any specific model insurances for stashes. Um, it's, it's perhaps something I should have looked into before we done this. Um, I, I never thought about it at the time. But um, yeah, it's it's an it's another aspect uh, that you've got to look at. I mean, I just just imagine if if a burglar broke into somebody's, you know, broke into somebody's house like John's and just opened a door and there's just a cupboard full of boxes. 
<laughs> and he's like, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> yeah, well, this is it. They'd walk in and they'd take one look round and just turn around and say, oh, he's got no worth nicking. Yeah. Because what are we going to get for this paint? This is, you can't even paint a wall with that. <laughs> oh, this is it. The, the, the average guy that <laughs> sort of comes in and says, well, what's this? It's, a, it's, it's just a load of plastic in cardboard boxes. Yeah. So, so there's there's that way. Unless you get, unless you're unfortunate enough to get burgled by the one person who's a model enthusiast, <laughs> um, I, I don't think uh, it's it's really going to be an issue. But you never know. Um, but in terms of insuring a stash. Um, you know, if, if there's a fire or anything uh, or plastic so easily damaged, that's the thing, isn't it? it? It just needs to get near heat. It gets warped. Yeah. Um, and I, I really don't know if there – I don't know if there is a company that does oh, this, sort of this, – This is it. There are one or two companies out there and stuff because uh, it was a topic that was brought up on one of the uh, Mr. Florida live shows one night and it got discussed a bit on there as well. And there was one or two in the chat and stuff that uh, it actually got their stuff insured. All right. And stuff because in a roundabout way, even though it's a stash of plastic cardboard boxes, decals and stuff, it's no different to jewellery. Yeah. Or oil paintings. Right. Okay. I can understand that. So, why can't I have my stash insured? It's yeah. Practical. And um, some insurance companies have gone, oh, yeah, right over some insurance companies have said, no, 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 and they've walked away from it and stuff. But, uh, yeah, my stash is all over my house, but there's the right way and the wrong way to store your kits. Right? Yeah, because humidity would play a big part well, in it. This is it. The majority of my stuff's in the loft. Right. Right. But my loft is lined and ventilated. Right. I'm in the process of putting a new floor in because the old floor that was up there, it was in when I moved in. Yeah. Ain't really strong enough for me with my wooden leg anymore. Right. So, yeah, because uh, you, you, you can't just, um, you can't just start chucking boxes down on the uh, liner, can you? Because. No, well, you, this, you, this this is, this is it. All my kits that are in the loft, right, I've taken all the decals out. I've taken the instructions out. Yeah. And the decals and the instructions are put in separate poly bags, and they are in a box in my bedroom. Yeah. Because humidity creates havoc with your decals. Because if you imagine your loft, during the summer, it's red hot. During the winter, it's freezing. So yeah, such a large temperature range with kits in the loft. Yeah, and decals are destroyed. The slightest bit of moisture in there. Well, it, 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 that, that's it exactly. That's why I've taken all the decals out of the kits that are in the loft, put them in a ziplock bag, and uh, they sit in a. It, it's actually an old wooden ottoman that I've had for years. I used to sit at the bottom of my bed, and they're all stored in there. So if I, if I want to fetch a kit out, I just go fetch the kit out of the loft, 
go to my box, have a brevet through for the depot instructions and the depots and stuff. And uh, in there, I think I've got about six or seven packets of that silica gel stuff, that stuff that pulls the moisture out. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know the stuff you mean. Yeah, yeah just, just to be on the safe side. Yeah, I don't blame you. That's, uh, I mean, that's why they put that tracing paper over the front of it, isn't it? That that acid-free, yeah. um, you know, I call it tracing paper, but it's acid-free archive-type paper. Yeah, and it uh, <clears throat> does something with UV and stuff as well. It stops some yellowing and that sort of stuff. Yeah, and people often wonder what it's there for, but that's that's the reason if anyone is wondering. Um, so I've, you know, as I say, my stash is, is fairly small, um, and it changes. And the beauty about having a big stash is, um, you can, if suddenly you change your mind about what you want to build, um, if you've got a wide range in your stash, you can just change direction at any point. Um, like say you you predominantly build tanks and then all of a sudden you want to build planes um if you've got a, a decent enough stash you can do that yeah um well it's, it's like my stash it's pretty much across the board there's aircraft there's military vehicles there's boats there's submarines bikes i think i've got a couple of cars i've got a dragster i have stuff in there and I've got one little area, which is where all my, uh, my galleons, the old sailing ships sit. Yeah. And if if I fancy a total change, some totally left wing, so to speak, I'll go and get one of them out. <laughs> yes. Or or you're waiting for paint to dry and you need something else to work on. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's a good one, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we'll just... I've, I've, I have got so many kits that I've started uh, now. In fact, I've got about six kits on the go and they've all been started because I've been waiting for something else to dry on that one, glue to dry on that one. Um, and in a mad half hour, I thought, let's open another kit. Yeah. And yeah, so that's, that's another one added. Yeah, Josh, that's a good call. That, um... yeah. For me, for me, I, I don't have I, – I might have 100 kits, but some of those kits are like Warhammer stuff figures. Yeah. And there's like 10 figures to a box, so I can paint one figure for like ever. Yeah. And then I've got, I've got like the Porsche 918 Spider that I'm working on now. Oh, I haven't seen that. Yeah, I, I just started it a couple days ago. Um, but like I've got tanks, boats, cars, planes, I've got figures. I've, I just went and got a couple Gundams for me and my son to build. Yeah. But other than that, it's, it's just really, really simple. And then I also have a 3d printer so I can, I can create my own stash whenever I really want. Yeah, so you're very much like me in, in, in terms of your stash. You've got um, little bits of everything. Um, I've got cars. I'm looking at it now. Uh, I've got cars. I've got World War II planes. I've got bikes. I've got a Humvee, uh, civilian Humvee. Um, 
modern jets i've got lorries i've got machining krieger uh sci-fi um tanks y you know it, it just goes on and on like that figures and like josh i've also got a 3d printer um and we are going to be covering 3d printers in a later episode of uh, the Spruecast, but i don't want to touch too much on those at the moment but yes um they are fantastic for the modeler um here's a sneak peek one for you then mark i'm looking at resin printers yeah yeah the resin yeah i've seen them they've got some cracking resin printing is definitely the step the way forward um yeah. it's got all of the benefits of 3d printing and none of the withdrawals of 3d printing with pla or abs um well this this is it years ago and i'm going back what or get off for 20 odd years now i used to do a lot of uh, aftermarket products right like we're going to be touching aftermarket in a later podcast yeah right i used to do the uh, the molds and the masters for about six companies that do aftermarket products in resin and white metal yeah and stuff and when you're coming up with a prototype for a conversion kit for an aircraft to a tank or whatever it's the man hours that are involved which makes it expensive yeah and i've seen your printer i've seen josh's printer i've been seeing one or two other printers and stuff and job wise at some point in the future and stuff i want to get back into doing resin conversion kits again right yeah. lots of people are doing 3d printed ones and stuff but <clears throat> it's going to get to the stage fairly soon where you'll be able to cast or make something out of a resin printer that you can literally take out the printer and stick it on your kit yeah i don't think we're far away from that at all but in the meantime i'm thinking about making when i've got the finances to get a 3d pr printer a resin one and having to play about and doing some of the old conversion sets like a, a 48 scale seeking sand filter box that sits over the canopy yeah. on the ground now right uh i'm thinking about revisiting that one and possibly doing one in uh is the resin printer because i can make it and refine it and detail it on screen in cad whereas before yeah. i have to sit there scribing measuring adding detail and stuff so basically i take an old seeking sand filter box that i've got scanning it sticking it in a cad program and refining it making a prototype out of a resin printer and then going old school yeah making a, a box making a rubber mold and casting it in resin yeah it's, uh, well, this is the resin printers and stuff you've got to put them in there was it uv light to harden them and stuff to cure cure the resin yeah i don't i'm not sure exactly how they work I, i've seen them yeah but there is some sort of uv light going on um, this, this is it. i'm not sure whether you can uh, take a, a resin printed item 
super glue it to something and paint it with modeling paint whether it will stand the test of time whether the paint flakes off whether it cracks or whether it goes soft because you know with some aircraft and stuff and model kits and stuff certain paints that you paint them in like if you're doing um cellulose based stuff hot products and you've not primed it nine times out of ten it'll melt your plastic well but so, you still have to you still have to set up the cure time the same i mean you, you still have all the same set like you have to like sand it a little bit there's a whole process and i don't i don't, I don't have one so i don't know the whole process but you're supposed to like alcohol wipe them down sand them a little bit i think yeah. and i could be totally wrong on this but yeah it, it it's a process yeah 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 i mean josh normally you i would say you you know more about 3d stuff than me by a long shot um but i i, I do i do believe that 3D printing is going to put all the model making companies out of business at some point. Yeah, it's it's like the CD was to vinyl. Um, I foresee, um, and this is my prediction, that um, I don't know how far down the line, but I reckon at some point you're going to be able to go to the Tamiya website and download your model. Go along to your model and say, yeah, I want that tank there. Download it. It will go straight to your printer and print out. Um, yeah. That's that's the way I see it going. Uh, you know, I, it could be 30 years away, but that, that's a prediction I'm making on that. Um, I, I, bet, I bet we're within five. And the reason I say that is because think about all the modeling companies that are out right now. And this is why some people are building stashes because they're not very good with electronics or programs or computer stuff. Or so they're buying up all kinds of stuff because they don't want to do that. They see it coming just as much as I do. Yeah. I've got three friends that have got like hundreds and hundreds of kits because they're afraid that like Ravel basically closed their doors. And we have what is it, Ravel Germany, Tamiya, yeah. and there's like two other kits, two other manufacturers in Europe, I think. And then after that, it's like, who else is building kits or producing them? It's you know, I don't know. You got ICM, ain't you? That they're, they're fairly new. Um, You're getting a lot of what I call the Baltic countries. Former, yeah, former Russian countries and. Uh, Zvezda, Zvezda, um, same as you says, uh, ICM, Zvezda, so they're bringing out some cracking kits that European and American mainstream manufacturers wouldn't even think about doing. Yeah, nearly every kit that comes from ICM, I'm a big ICM supporter, um, and you constantly see uh, this has never been tried by, this is ICM's first attempt at this kit. You know, yeah. they don't they don't shy away from trying that you know they're they're all constantly bringing out figures um tanks ships uh i'm not so sure about ships but um uh planes jets you know all sorts uh 
ICM are really, I, I just really rate them at the oh, moment. You, you go back five years, say, right, and you wanted to build yourself a 48 scale MiG 25 Foxback or the Foxback or the, the Foxhound, right? All you'd got was the old Revel Foxback. Yeah. Right? You go now, you've got the uh, ICM came out with the MiG-25, then they did the MiG-35 and stuff. Now you can go, you started to get them in Rebel boxes. Yeah, and the thing is, ICM sell to Rebel as well. Yeah. If you look on some of Rebel's releases, it actually, it's got stamped on the moulds, ICM. Uh, a perfect example is their... Poland, right? Yeah, their um, I sixteen. Their what's it called? Their I sixteen. I can't remember. I just know it's I sixteen. Um, but anyway, it's it's a it's a revel. It's an ICM kit in a revel box, um, yeah. and also a lot of their figures that Revel are bringing out. A lot of their new figures that are coming out are actually ICM figures. Yeah. Um, ICM brought them out for about six months before, and then all of a sudden, Revel are bringing them out as new to their range. And they are new to their range, but um, they're being made by this, this ICM. Is, ICM have been around for some time. I first came about ICM when uh, I went down to ED Models, I went down to see Ed to take some prototypes back. And uh, I was talking to Andy, his son. And uh, he says, here, he says, I've got something for you. Um, when was this? Oh, ages ago, when ED Models was about. You know, you're going back 20-odd years, if not a bit further. So, so what suddenly changed? Because ICM, as I know it, only came onto the scene from my point of view about a year and a half ago. All of a sudden, all these ICM kits started coming out. Well, I, I went in to see at Ed, and Andy handed me a brand new tooled 48 scale Mark 9 Spitfire by ICM. It was in a white box with a printed picture on the front. And when I got it home and had a look at it, I thought, wow and upstairs in the loft and uh, stuff in the collection of built kits i've got every marker spitfire that was produced the standard marks and yeah. my spitfire kits are the icm ones because i love them yeah they take need a little bit of work here and there but the amount of stuff that you get left over foot with engines weapons cannon bulges e-wings universal wings sea wings and all that sort of stuff right I think I built my first Spitfire ICM one be about 17 years ago. 15, 16, 17 years ago, I built the first one. But <clears throat> became the first one I ever heard of with from ICM was a Spitfire. Then the next ones I started to see coming out was uh, the early Mustangs and the D. Yeah. And stuff. And then this sort of disappeared off the market for a bit. And then you see the odd ICM tank sort of thing, and you get another aircraft to come out. And then next minute, boom, ICM hit the market. Boom, they bought this out. Boom, 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 boom. They bring in three, four, five, six, seven new kits out a year. 
Yeah, that's what I mean. All of a sudden, they're everywhere. And, yeah. And they're everywhere at a cheap price. Yeah. It, 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 it almost seems to me. isn't that because they're... Go on, Josh. Sorry, Josh. But You're... isn't that because they're they're starting to like? Isn't 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 there? How do I say this? But the the reason they're they're coming out like that, I believe they're three D printing all the the original, and then no, they're mold casting audio, them after that. Audio. I don't know for sure if they're doing all the <sighs> great. Your audio completely cut out there, Josh. Yeah. Well, uh, it's same as Josh was just saying, right? It's it's almost as if they went into like uh, hibernation hibernation mode, right? And they were just releasing the little thing here and there, but in the background, they were developing the brand. Yeah. Coming along with new kits and this, that, and the other, because. You look how the first uh, ICM MiG-25 came out, and then within six months, you've got another version of it. you got the standard fighter version out. Then you then they came out with the reconnaissance version. Yeah. Next thing, I, a few months later, you've got the MiG-35 Foxhound coming out. I don't know. Um, I, I, I get the overriding feeling that they've had a change of um, leadership within. Yeah. For the sudden, all of a sudden, it's like they've completely burst onto the scene and they are being really aggressive in their marketing. Um, you know, there's there's all these kits coming out, like, just like you said, John, boom, 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 all these kits coming out one after the other. Yeah. They're all new kits. They're all new tooled. Um, yeah. And and they are, and the thing is, they're coming out at such a great price, and you're getting such a, um, you're getting a really great kit for the money. Uh, so yeah, I I'm a big fan of ICM. You know, this is it. This is where it goes back to the stash again, right? I've, I think in my set, I've got, uh, I think I've got six. I think I've got three of each. Mig 25s and uh, Mig 35 Foxhound and stuff, right? Or is it the MiG-31? I can't remember which one it was now. But I got them, one of each version. Basically, I went out and bought them because I bought all six in one go. I thought, well, I'm going to get them because I don't know how long they're going to be around. And if I don't buy one now, you might not get it because yeah. it's like Airfix. When Airfix bought their C-Vixen out, everybody went nuts for it. Then all of a sudden, Airfix have deleted it from their catalogue. And the prices start to creep up on eBay. Now, a lot of people are in for a shop that have bought kits to stash, to sell, to, to hang on to, to invest in. They're in for a bit of a shop because Hairfix is re-releasing it. Yeah, which is exactly my point earlier on. So, Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's like, I've got one C-Vix up there. I've got one Gloucester Javelin, right? So when the C-Vix has come out again, I shall get another one because there's two completely different versions of the Cvix I want to do. I need another one. So when Airfix re-release them, I shall get one of them re-releases. And it's like the Javelin. It's the FAW 9 9R. 
uh, I'm going to build that one out of the box. Another one I want to do is a earlier version, Mark III, Mark IV, something like that with a different rear end. Yeah. I'm not paying silly money for them off eBay at the minute. I'll just wait till Airfix re-release it because it is coming back out again. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, uh, so just to move things forward a bit, the where do we stand on... So you get some people that buy multiple um, – so like a kit comes out, I don't know, bike, car, whatever, um, and they'll go and buy three straight away. And they just put them all – I don't understand this. Um, you know, there's only one version of, uh, say, a bike, and they'll buy three. Yeah. this is it i'm i'm a builder i'm not a collector my high valued stuff that i've got is the studio scale resin millennium falcon it was one of about 300 that produced it cost me a small fortune and i've got the big resin um star destroyer one that yeah. i built all right from the original batch that was first cast and what comes along the hash eight what the agostini part works and this that and the other and i'm thinking hmm to build the resin version it's a lot of work and it's easy to go out and <laughs> go out and get the diagostini one or the part works one and go to yeah, they're, they're expensive aren't they them diagostini things yeah they look cheap but when you work out you've got to buy uh, I don't know, 300, uh, 300 magazines at uh, seven quid each or whatever. It, it's not so cheap. Well, this this is it. The Diagostini part works, the total price over the two-year period was slightly less than I paid for this resin one. All right. Well, that's not too bad then. But isn't that the point of that? You're you're not buying it all at once. You're setting yeah. it up payment plan. Yeah, well this 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 is it. I I paid over a grand and a half for that Millennium Falcon. Will right. you ever build it? It was I bought it to build it because at the time when it came out, right? Apart from the old MPC, uh, AMT, Ertle, whatever it was, Millennium Falcon, that was the only one that was out on the market. Yeah. And it was purchased. I bought it to build it. I, I even built a display base for it to put it on. Yeah. Right. And then the Agostini, the part works, one comes out. And they think, well, eh, is it worth it? It'll be worth a bit of money, but even resin's only got a shelf life. Because I watched Mr. Florida build his, uh, his Star Destroyer, and the resin had started to go warped, and it was going brittle and stuff, so... Yes, we will be, we'll be covering that in a future episode, resin um, and PE. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I... Any other, have we got any other thoughts on this, Josh? You got anything you want to add? 
I, I, I just, with the price of kits going up every year, I think stashes are just going to become more and more important, I think. Yeah. Because you can get it now, but in three years, is it going to be that cheap? You know? So I'm buying it so it's cheap now, so I don't have to pay as much later. So, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll see what you mean. I mean, I, when I started uh, building, so it's what, four years ago, um, I didn't know nothing about stashes, nothing at all. And for a year, um, I just kept buying. I'd see kits. And I'll tell you what gets me, artwork. Um, I've bought a yeah. lot of kits purely based on the artwork on the box. I've looked at it and I've thought, man, that looks nice. And I've gone and bought it. You know, I, yeah, I'll go, you know, I'll often look at the box artwork. I love it. Well, this was it, wasn't it? It was, that's what got me into modeling was the box art on Airfix and Matchbox kits back in the day. And yeah. I think Airfix box arts. Uh, gone down a little bit to be honest. Oh, what happened was Airfix came out and stuff, it's like the JU88 that they did and the dogfight doubles and the Spitfires, and that's what triggered my interest in it. I thought, oh wow, I can buy what's in that box and make my model look like that photo on the box cover, like that one. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, that's why I bought it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that's yeah. it. Yeah, you know, that's perfect. Well. Airfix went a bit to off kilter when the PC brigade came in and this, and they started putting photographs of the actual model on the box cover. Yeah. And when that happened, I stopped buying Airfix and I started buying Hazigawa and Tamiya kits. Yeah, they started taking, they weren't allowed to put explosions in. Oh, and... Yeah. Well, this it's the uh, JUHA box art in it. It was well known. So just just so everyone knows, Josh is showing us a picture of um he's got some box art up. Um now we're still quite new to this podcasting, but there may be a way of attaching um these pictures onto the podcast. We'll have to have a look into that. I know there's a way of doing it, I just haven't figured it out yet. Uh, um, and, and I'll post these pictures on the Facebook page too. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, he's showing us some of his box art, and that's you know that's a subject that we could tackle another time because box art is um, very influential in sales. Um, I don't think there's many people that in modelling that haven't got a kit that they've bought purely on what's been printed on the box. Uh, I've got quite a few Hazigawa kits like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, um, brilliant box art, but the kit's crap. <laughs> and yeah. you see, I think another thing about stashes, while I think about it, is, uh, you, you know, you could look at somebody's stash, like the rings on a tree. You know, when you cut a tree down and you look at the rings, you can yeah. see the history of um, model making. Um, I bet if you was to look at somebody's stash where, you know, if they um, put their boxes away um, as they buy them and build them out slowly, you would see 
yeah. you know, matchbox at the beginning in the center, and then they'd slowly come out. You'd have a lot of trumpeter stuff collecting, and then you'd have some a smattering of Meng, and then a few more, and then ICM, and yeah. And you know, you know, if you looked at a, a well-maintained stash, you could almost look at the history of our hobby. Um, or have I just drank too much? No, the thing is, it's, it's, I've, I've got a couple of mates that live in about five, ten miles from where I am. And they are not model builders at all, but they buy their, their kits for the box arts. Right? And they bought the kits on the picture on the box cover. Yeah. Right? But both of them, uh, <laughs> you know what I call a bit anal, right? They listed the kit number, where they bought it, how much they could pay for it, and this yeah. and if it was, and you, you walk into the one of the guys' back back bedroom and stuff, and his back bedroom is just literally a filing system for his stash that's in the loft and in the garage. Well, yeah. Um, which which brings up the subject of space, um, yeah. which um, Angela's just uh, mentioned to me off off the uh, microphone um, that uh, space is an issue with stashes. Um, you don't realise it when you start modelling, um, but uh, I've been looking back at the pictures I took I don't know three years ago, and I had a tiny little table with the pull-out drawer, and I had a little tiny A, I suppose it would have been an A5 cutting mat, yeah. um, a few little pots of paint, and a little cup with some brushes in. And now I look round at what I've got. I'm, I'm on a snooker table with a MDF board on the top, and it's crammed with paints, brushes, tools the 3d printer laptop cameras microphones so that's a huge space and then i look round at the stash and that takes up a whole rack behind me and then we've got the lift um the lift has got a load of uh kits in it yeah i use my stair lift for taking my stash yeah <laughs> the uh the kitchen cupboards on top of the kitchen cupboards. Um, there's a load of kits, but then you've got, you've got to be careful with kitchen cupboards that you don't stash your kits around where the oven extractor is or where the kettle is or anything because it can warp the plastic, the heat comes up. Yeah. Um, and it just, without it, no, without you knowing, it it slowly encroaches upon everything you do, everywhere you go. There is, it takes over, yeah, well, this and suddenly you're sat there, and you're thinking, "My God!" Well, this this is it. I built my first kit when I was uh, almost eight, and it was the original Airfix Spitfire Mark Nine, the Johnny Johnson one, and I had to build it in the kitchen on a tea tray. <laughs> yeah, um. Cool. Over a period of time, the kit started to get a little bit bigger. The tea tray weren't quite big enough. Yeah. And then I was allowed to make them and paint them upstairs in my bedroom. 
it got to the stage where everything that I made hung from my bedroom ceiling. And my dad turned around and says, well, why don't you start making them in the garage instead? But going into an unheated garage in the middle of winter 